Welcome back. I'm Ben Shaw, and this is Out the Gate, a podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco. And my guest this week is a friend of mine who has big adventures in small boats. James Dilworth is a sailor and a boat builder. He built a 17-foot catamaran strapped to the roof of his car, drove down to Mexico, and spent time exploring the Sea of Cortez. Once in a challenge from the Discovery Channel, he built a boat with only three grand in three days and attempted to sail it to the Farallon Islands. And when I first met James, he was getting ready to fly to the Philippines, where he'd bought a traditional dugout canoe outrigger sailboat and was going to sail it between the islands. He did that and more. So in this conversation, he shares the highs and lows, the close calls and unforgettable experiences from his many adventures. So let's go. I'm James Dilworth. I'm a small boat sailor here in San Francisco. I have a little Santana 22 that I keep in Sausalito. And I've had that now for many, 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 many years. Um, bought it for maybe $2,000 back in 2010, thinking nice. I was getting how far, the, the guy who sold it to me said, how far wrong can you go with a $2,000 boat? <laughs> I was like, you can't go that far wrong. But it turns out you can probably go at least $30,000 wrong, not including <laughs> slip fees. You can um, dig yourself <laughs> into a hole. That's right. To, to restore a, a beat up old sailboat um, can take a lot of your time, a lot of, mo- a lot of money. So, um, so that's me. And um, I have a, a maybe slight proclivity to adventurous sailing in far-off uh, tropical destinations. Which is why I'm very excited to talk to you, James. But before we go any further, though, people might hear a little bit of background noise because and some waves here. Tell people where we're sitting. We are sitting in Aquatic Park in San Francisco, North Shore. Uh, a lovely little protected cove um, that is very popular with swimmers. Uh, of which you are one. Of w- which you just caught me before I got in the water. <laughs> Good job. And, um, yeah. Now, would you rather be in that freezing cold water or talking to me? I, I'm Don't quite, answer that. <laughs> I'm quite happy to take a, a good excuse to punt. It's 51 degrees at the moment, so it's a little oh. bit chilly. But the fun thing is that once you get into it, it actually, after about 10 minutes, you kind of can't feel anything anymore, and it becomes kind of nice. And then afterwards, you get that endorphin rush, and it feels fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. I used to be there with you, but I have to admit that it's been quite a while since I've gotten uh, my body into that water. We did meet right over here at the Dolphin Club. I think that's the first place we met. And we started chatting, and you just kind of offhand mentioned, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, uh, I've done some sailing on a boat I bought in the Philippines. And immediately <laughs> my ears perked up, which is why I'm excited to talk to you. But f- before we get to that, well, that might be related. Tell, you, tell me how you first started sailing. It is actually indeed related. Um, I used to be a, a long-distance bicyclist, uh-huh. and I have uh, I rode my bicycle across many countries, across South America and uh, across Asia from Bangkok up to Kathmandu once. And I did a, did a bicycle trip through the Philippines, and it was one of the most frustrating bicycle trips of my life because, A, it was really hot and tropical, and B... There were all these islands that I could not get to on a bicycle. Ah. And uh, at that point in time, I was thinking, hmm, it would be rather nice to have a boat. So this is kind of where my bicycling adventures started to 
What year was this? This was probably 2000, okay. 2001 era. And uh, um, I was lucky. I took a ferry from one island to another big island. And on the ferry, it was, I mean, when I say ferry, it's not like a, an American concept of ferry. This thing was, it was an outrigger motorboat with an old Japanese, you know, truck engine in it and 10 people on top. And, you know, it was, al it was always at risk of sinking across the, the channel that we went. And I made some, made some connections on that boat and got a place to stay that night. And the, neck, the little village that we'd landed at, um, one of the guys was, his, his brother was a fisherman. Okay. And they had these little kind of cool, also outrigger, little sail fishing boats. And he took me out on these and I was like, this is my next bicycle. And uh, there, there the idea was born. And unfortunately, that's kind of as far as it got. Or, well, I mean, the, the boat kind of captivated my um, imagination because they were fast and they were fun and they were just lightweight and they seemed to be like, wow, you can go, you could sail across the world on this, except at the time, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I now know a little bit better. <laughs> but hey, it's that, um, sometimes it's the not knowing that leads to the great adventures because you just think, hey, I can do this. Yes, ignorance is, is definitely bliss. Um, in this particular case, I actually, I, I came back here uh -huh. Or I came here and I just kept this idea in mind and I did go back to the Philippines with the idea of buying one of these boats yeah. and sailing it all over the Philippines. And um, at the time I didn't know anything about boats or anything about sailing to be honest, except that I was young and like adventurous and I had a, and then I got there and the reality set in that, you know, you're really risking your life and you know, there were skills to be had. And at that point, um, after a good month of messing around in the Philippines with some local fishermen and some local sailors and stuff, I thought I'd come back here and do it right. And come back uh, here and learn sailing. So I came back here, learned how to build boats, mm -hmm. learned how to sail, um, and then took a while before I actually went back to the Philippines. Well, let's um, talk a little bit about that. Um, <clears throat> your accent gives away that you are not from San Francisco originally. So how did you make your, where did you grow up and how did you make your way this here? This is correct. Um, I am from the UK. Um, many people think of the UK as this great sailing nation and you've got the Solent and we've got uh, all sorts of wonderful um, uh, nautical adventurers from the UK. Um, I grew up in the very middle of the country, <laughs> as far from the sea as you can get in the UK, which is, you know, it's only a hundred miles still, but um, it's, um, yeah, but any time around water, though, when you were growing up? Cause Absolutely none, except wow. I remember falling off my grandfather's canal boat at one point and almost drowning. That was probably my only experience. Wow. Um, so what do you think draws you to the water now with the swimming and the sailing? Well, it was, the, it was looking at this island that you could not get to. Ah, yes. And this, this sense of... There's, there's something wonderful about boats. I mean... On land, there's all these rules about you've got to follow this road and you've got to cycle on this side or you've got to drive on that side and you've got to have a license. And boats are still this kind of wild west of freedom. I mean, you can go places that other people can't go and you can have these adventures that are not so easy to have on land anymore in such a way. So I think once I started to kind of get that um, from looking at these far off islands and wondering how to get there, that the bug took and it's it's a wonderful bug it's just a dangerous one <laughs> yes one and once it infects you it's hard to get rid of it, indeed how did you end up here in san francisco tech boom ah yeah came right. across from the i was i was living in hong kong at the time and uh -huh. uh, um, 
California was the place to be. So we, we moved our company to, to the Silicon Valley and um, that got me to California. And it was just for a year and here I am almost 20 years later. <laughs> and little did you know you were picking a fabulous place to learn to say. Yeah, the San Francisco Bay has to be one of the best places. I mean, you've got such a, such a variety of wind um, and such a variety of weather in a small space. I mean, you can, on any given summer day, you can choose whether it's wine and cheese cruising with ladies or whether it's Scotland in the middle of winter cruising with the lads. <laughs> Sometimes both in one day. <laughs> yes, within the space of an hour. So, uh, yeah, we're very lucky and blessed to be here. Had you been out on the bay before this bike trip? Or no. was no. no? That was all new to me at that point. It was all new. So you yeah. came back. And you said, I want to learn into the, learn about this. What was your entree? How did you find your way? Learning into to sail properly. Because at this point in time, I knew how to sail a little bit. But all the words for everything was, um, was Filipino. <laughs> <laughs> and, I love that. And my concepts were, uh, like, like, I didn't fully understand. Like, the, my, my concepts of tacking were you had to backwind um, the jib. And I forget what we call the jib now. Um, but there was this whole different way of doing um, sailing that they had. And then you came here and all of a sudden there was a new language to learn and tacking, jibing, so on. Yeah. Um, I did some lessons with a, a small little organization over in Sausalito called Sailing Education Adventures. Okay. I, kinda, I don't know if they're actually still around, but they were wonderful at the time. They taught you to sail on dinghies. Um, best way to start. Best way to learn how to sail, for sure. Yeah. Um, and... Um, that got my foot in the door. I did a, an apprenticeship in boat building over at the Arquez School. Yeah, sure. Um, wooden boat building under Bob Dar. That's up the Spalding. It's now part of the Spalding boat, works, boat building yeah. works. Uh, um, and Bob was an amazing teacher. Um, taught me to appreciate wooden boats and traditional boat building techniques. Some of which I'd experienced in the Philippines, but in a very different way. Um, yeah. They have different materials. Um, bamboo being a lot more prominent. And also their, their hardwood was a lot heavier and mm -hmm. different trees. But, you know, we have some fantastic local woods here. Um, so I so learned you, that. you dove right in. Are yeah. you the kind of person who, when you want to learn about something, you say, I'm going to learn everything I can about it? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily attribute this as a personal quality. It's uh -huh. more like, yes, I get, I get distracted by something. And when I get distracted, I get fully distracted. <laughs> <laughs> well, call it what you will. But yeah, you, I, I left tech completely for three years. I just fell into the wooden. I fell into wooden boats and fell into sailing and fell into mm -hmm. boating and adventuring. And um, yeah, for quite some time, I was. Um, that was my life. And so, what do you remember about getting out on the San Francisco Bay for the first time, sailing-wise? Oh gosh, you know, I can't. You know, the, those first those first times out onto San Francisco Bay was mainly on other people's sailboats, and it was cold cold yes different it than the Philippines <laughs> that's right that's like why do people want to sail here <laughs> yeah I yep. mean, but you stuck with it yeah of course and um, yeah stuck with it uh, um, and built a little sailboat of my own here um, inspired somewhat by what I'd seen in the Philippines I kind of was definitely a multi-hull character at that point in time yeah. so I found a, a designer by the name of James Warham uh-huh um, He's, he's probably now in his 80s, but he was one of the first people um, to build a catamaran sailboat and sail it across oceans. Um, I think he did that back in the 50s yeah. um, with two German ladies 
or German lady and a Dutch lady. I guess why you needed a catamaran. Um, <laughs> one, one, one hull apiece. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote a book. Two, two hulls, two, two girls, two catamarans or something like oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah, I think up. it took him two catamarans to get home. I know um, those designs are, are quite popular. His designs are quite popular for do-it-yourself uh, construction. They, they're very good, actually. And uh, so I, I, I got one of his plans for a 17-foot okay. um, catamaran. Uh, it's a stitch-and-glue plywood boat. Mm-hmm. Um, so after a couple of years of building traditional wooden boats, this was a completely new world, uh, building, uh, um, using epoxy and, you know, these, these chemicals, which, you know, are less than ideal to work with, but they, they build resilient boat, resilient boats and, uh, um, uh, glass reinforced plywood is actually quite a, a resilient boat building material. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, yeah, so I built this lovely 17 foot, uh, um, catamaran with um, it, it was kind of a, an odd duck because it had all these traditional touches you know these beautiful douglas fir cross beams and a nice uh. doug fir mast and you know locust and you know pepperwood uh, touches you know on some of the hardwood pieces and then it was a catamaran with a bright blue sail and a bright blue paint job and <laughs> <laughs> it didn't it didn't quite fit in this century or the last um, <laughs> but um, and how did she sail she sailed fast you know yeah. great sailboat um, really great. really good sailboat um and so 17 feet would easily do eight knots on any given day around the bay here. I think mm. I got it up to double digit at some point, you know, 12, 13. Um, it was fairly seaworthy. I never pitch poled it, but I've come close a couple times. Um, <laughs> and um, she's there. The design is sea- intrinsically seaworthy as a catamaran, like in that size group, like a Hobie cat is uh, 16 foot long, but probably only about seven and a half feet wide. Yeah. Um, this is almost the same length, but it's 10 feet wide. Wow. And so it's much, much more stable. Yeah. And the hulls are much, have got a lot more room in them. So I was able to fill those hulls with camping gear and take the boat on some pretty big adventures. Oh. Um, so we did, um, with a friend of mine, we took the boat down to Baja and we sailed down the uh, um, inside the Sea of Cortez, um, which was fantastic, you know, absolutely the right boat to do this on it was you know it was small you could beach it in all these little locations now did you sail uh, down the coast to baja no we drove it down on top of the roof of my car okay and then that makes sense put it put it in there on the inside and yeah um, oh what an adventure yeah, yeah it was it was really good and you know that was uh, you know in a way you know it just struck me sometimes sailing around some of these small anchorages in the sea of cortez um we'd come flying in on the little blue boat under sail and we'd tack and jibe around our way around everybody and say hi to everybody in the anchorage and then we'd put up on the beach and on the beach you could chat with some of the locals and, uh, and you I can like, this go places with these small boats that you just couldn't go exactly else and, it, and also for a lot less work yeah I and mean, we we put that mexico trip together like my friend called me before christmas and he was like what you doing for for the holidays and i was like i was thinking to go down to mexico do you want to come and he's like yeah, would you send me the details? I'm like, that is the details. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stick the boat on top of the roof. We'll put some camping gear. We'll just go see how it works. And it did work. Oh, I love um, it. I and love so it. that, in a way, kind of solidified this idea in my mind that small boats can really take you places in a way that larger boats can't. Um, and, you know, even though we were, even though it was a small boat, we had to, we were very rationed on fresh water. People would look after us. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd pull up next to cruising boats and, you know, 
get fed dinner and get given water and we'd have these amazing adventures and good stories to tell out of it. Everybody's um, fascinated. So yeah, it really it really made it, it opened up a lot of doors. And at the time, you know, like I was I was definitely working on a budget. Uh -huh. And so it was nice to be able to go exotic places for a relatively affordable amount of money. What are some of the more memorable adventures, mishaps, good times that you had? Well, the disadvantage with small boats mm -hmm. is they're not quite as seaworthy. <laughs> and so, uh, um, you can't get out of the elements <laughs> quite as easily, can <laughs> That's you? That's right. There was, there was at least, um, we, we were down in, in the Sea of Cortez, and they, they, in the wintertime you have these nortes that blow, these strong northerly winds that they, they come on and off. You know, for four or five days it was nothing, and then all of a sudden there's four or five days of absolute howling winds, and then a couple of days of moderate winds. Um, and so after being stuck on the beach for four days, you get kind of antsy to get going. And we had this crossing to make from uh, the mainland over to Espiritu Santo. Um, so Isla San Francisco, Espiritu Santo. On a big boat, this is, this is an easy passage. Um, on a 17-foot boat after a four-day norte, you know, we, we left the shadow of the, of the mainland thinking it was going to be fine. But um, certainly out in the middle there, where there, was, there was some big waves. And on a small boat, big waves feel even bigger. Um, so I, I can't tell you how big, except they were very big. Felt big, <laughs> yeah. And we were sliding down the face of these things, and oh my gosh, I think that that was probably the closest that we came to, well, one of the closest trips I, I've had of where, you know, you, you're hanging on for dear life, you know, had a reefed jib powering you along. What point and, of sail were you guys, um, do you remember? It was mostly downwind, although uh -huh. we were, I was, I was kind of jibing along to, to try and stay on top of the waves. Um, that was fun. That was definitely um, a moment of reflection afterwards on how close you'd come to being in a real pickle. But also, it's you know one of the most amazing stories. My friend Jonathan and I will still remember that day with a certain sense of um, we accomplished something that we didn't know we had it in ourselves to do. Yeah, partly by luck, but you know a little bit of skill too. Now, what kind of safety, were you clipped in? What kind of safety gear? Or was this just, we're just going to go and see what happens? Uh, we were clipped in with uh -huh. a REI carabiner sort of thing yeah, <laughs> tied, to a, tied to a piece of line that was on the boat. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. If the, if the boat had capsized out there. At least it, the water was warm. Yeah, but, you know, even even 70-degree water, it, yeah. it may feel warm, but after 10 hours in it, you will um, yeah. you will notice it. But it definitely gave you an appreciation for the small boat sailing and the knowledge and the courage, I would imagine, and then go back to the Philippines, right? Yes, that's right. Um, so the Philippine idea had never quite left my mind. At some point I thought, you know, I should, I should think that one out again. So I, I managed to convince a few friends that this would be a, a fun thing to do on our vacation, is uh -huh. that we should... Uh, um, go out to the Philippines, I could remember there's this island called Boracay um, where the, local, the locals have basically turned these what were once, you know, these local style sailboats and they now give tourists sailboat rides on them mm, and okay. they're um, there's, there's hundreds of these little sailboats, you know, at sunset at Boracay there's like a hundred sailboats lining the beach all these tourists come down, they get the sunset sailboat rides and then they go home and I'm, I told my friends here I was like, bet we could go there we could probably pick up a boat, rent one for two weeks, and we could have an amazing adventure. We could like sail from these islands. You will love it. You have enough friends who said, 
Yeah, sounds like a good idea. I had five of them. <laughs> That's great. I love it. You've got good we friends. We bought tickets. We bought tickets. I flew out like six days earlier. Mm -hmm. I said, don't worry, guys. I'll get, I'll get us a boat. <laughs> I love the, the chutzpah. <laughs> and, uh, and then, of course, I land there and I walk down the, the beach. I'm like, all right. I want to like rent somebody to like, we want to go to these islands. You know, we wanted to cross across to these islands called Palawan, which is, you know, 100 miles away. You know, yeah. we, weren't, we weren't talking about going around a, a sailboat detour around Boracay. And this was incredibly hard for anybody to conceive. They were like, well, no, we, we can give you a tour around the islands. We can t give you a tour to the next island. Um, but once I started talking logistics with the locals, it became a whole thing. And they didn't really want to do it. And they were going to be away from their families. And it was, how would they get the boat back? So initially you were thinking you were going to hire a boat. Yeah, that's right. I got it. Got it. So at some point I was like, how much does it cost just to buy one of these boats? And the answer was probably about two and a half thousand dollars. And they probably, I finally got someone who said, yeah, two and a half thousand dollars, we'll sell you this boat. I was like, all right, we'll take it. Divide by five, um, <laughs> $500 each for a two week holiday. I think we could do this. And so uh, all of a sudden that was a great relief because now we could go anywhere we wanted. We didn't have to be kind of beholden to uh, a hired crew. And it was a relief for the, the folks I was dealing with in Boracay because they were like, well, you guys do your thing and you, we're just going to sell you the boat and then you, we'll see you back here the next day. And <laughs> so let's stop here for a second because you touched briefly on these boats before, but I want to understand a little more what we're talking about here. It's Tell us about the construction. There's an outrigger. Is that upwind or downwind? What's the sail like? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's kind of an interesting... Uh, um, it's an interesting boat. Um, so they are um, they're built from dugout logs. Mm -hmm. So the keel is is literally a dugout log. They 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 go and find a really big tree, hollow it out, um, and, uh, and that's the basis. It then has uh, um, the obviously this is probably where, how it was traditionally built was a an outrigger canoe. And then they've put plywood sides. So it's now got more freeboard to it um, and storage horizontally. We're talking um, vertically. Vertically, okay. And then uh, um, they have these beautiful long uh, um, cross beams and outriggers. Okay. So the boat is probably, the one we got was probably about 30. Oh, we're going to get some music here. We might have to move, <laughs> but let's keep going until, until it starts it was, in earnest. Uh, 30 feet long, mm -hmm. and it was probably about 30 feet wide. Mm. So the, the beam of the boat from outrigger to outrigger is um, 30 feet, 15 feet each side. Okay, well, hold that thought. All right. Yes. Hold that thought. <laughs> All right, good. So we, you were saying, um, uh, we were talking about the construction of the boat. So you were saying the, it's the, the beam is, is what? It's 30 feet, 30 feet wide, 30 feet long. So it's as oh. wide as it is long. Um, wow, so quite stable. Uh, yeah, and the, at the, on the outriggers, the outriggers are basically made out of just one big, thick piece of bamboo. Okay. Uh, so there's, there's not a huge amount of buoyancy. Um, there's yeah. enough to, it's kind of almost like a bicycle on stabilizers, you know, like the little, like the kids wear. Interesting. It's, it's enough to keep you from falling over, but not if you really try. And now, is um, there any platform between the outrigger and the hull? Yeah, we, we kind of put like a um, fishing net across so you can, you can, and if this is the the wonderful thing about these boats is the, so let me, let me describe the sail plan first. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, um, it's a gunter rig. Um, it has a big triangular mainsail uh -huh. and then a jib sail. Um, so it's a familiar sail plan to 
it, it wouldn't it would look a bit different here but it's you know it's somewhat familiar um, but it does a lot of sail area and for so the boats will really pick up some speed mm. and uh, obviously um, the how do you counteract that turning uh, moment the outriggers at the edge the bamboo will not counteract the force on the sail okay so that you counteract the force on the sail by moving your crew out to, out to leeward okay. windward to windward so the, so the the outrigger is on the windward side. That's right. And yeah. so um, one the human to, ballast to sail these <laughs> things in strong wind. You basically have four or five people sitting out on the far end, far side of the boats. You know, the boat's screaming a log, spray coming over. The driver sits on the on the main hull. He kind of steers. Actually, you steer with uh, um, you hook it up so that there's a line going from the the, the rudder behind you. There's a T-bar that goes through the rudder. And the line attached to that runs to your feet. So huh. you can steer this, and that way you can work the main sheet with your, your hands. That's and a great idea. It, it's actually very, very clever. Wow. Um, and, yeah, then you, you've got your crew who are doing the balancing. And they, you know, when it, when, when it lightens up, they come in. Mm -hmm. When it gets really heavy, they go out. If it gets really light, they actually have to run across and completely balance the thing out. I mean, so it's a full participation Because they could be sport. sitting into their waist and water. Yeah, that's right. Quick. Sometimes, you, sometimes you'll kind of go behind a, a wind shadow of something. They'll all be sitting out on the edge. And then as soon as the wind comes off the boat, it'll, they'll just get dunked. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a lot. I've seen like in the Caribbean, you see, um, I forget what they call them, but they have these uh, um, uh, like same sort of concept where they have all the crew sitting out on a big board mm -hmm. um, to yes, windward. Yes, yes. Um, and this is kind of the same sort of style, but it's uh, it's a... You know, Philippine local style. What so do they call them in the Philippines? Um, they call them parau. Parau. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, um, it's the style of sailboats. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're really fun, and they um, they do races. Uh, they have race. I, I think uh, informally at bar, you know, there it's you don't see sailboats that much anymore in the Philippines. To uh -huh. be honest, you know, I remember you telling me once that you would be sailing around, and the locals would be kind of looking at you strange. What's this? Yeah, well, I mean, sailing yeah, when we have right. these things I mean, called outboard motors. Fish, fishermen have kind of figured out that you know th they don't have outboard motors there either. They they just okay. basically use cheap Chinese uh, um, you know engines mm. or old truck engines and stuff like that. So the mm -hmm. bigger boats have old truck engines in them. But either way, they're motor vessels, you know, and motor vessels go when there's no wind, when there's wind going from the wrong direction. And the art of sail is definitely um, you know sadly being you know is a dying thing. And, you know, we'd, we'd see the older people and they'd be like, oh, my gosh, you know, they'd love it. But the younger people were definitely completely bemused by this whole concept. But at the same time, there was something kind of oddly familiar to it. You know, people, the local people would come up and they'd understand what the boat was. And they, uh -huh. they, they knew how to repair it, um, which was, uh, I'm not sure if I'm getting ahead of myself, but after we... After, after we went out there and we bought the boat and we sailed off into the sunset and the folks at Barakai thought we were not going to last for a few hours, um, we made it across one big passage and then we ended up, the next day, the wind really took up and we had to make the next crossing before the wind was going to get even stronger for okay. the next week. And remember, we're on a two-week holiday at this point. Right. Um, so we did this next passage from Sibylon Island to the mainland or something like that. And it was, you know, it was blowing 15 or 20. And then, of course, one of the outriggers breaks, Oof. which, you know, it's it's a very, it, it's kind of like a... One of the connections to the outrigger. Yeah, exactly. It's all of a sudden, it's, you know, your outrigger is no longer really providing much uh, um, counteracting force. So we did a, a very, very makeshift uh, um, 
repair at sea, you know, by jumping in the water. And one of, one of our crew members, Oliver, was, you know, he's an absolute genius when it comes to any sort of lashing and whatever. So we managed to lash that together. We limped to the next island, came ashore in the middle of the blazing sun. And of course, all these people appear out of the palm trees and they're like, what the heck is this? A sailboat with like six Westerners on it. And, and then they saw the problem and it was like, oh, we could fix that, you know. Half an hour later, somebody comes running out of the wood, out of the trees with a perfectly shaped piece of, uh, um, for the crossbeam shoulder. And wow. we lashed that on. And, you know, literally after we'd had lunch, the boat was ready again. We did the, the rest of the crossing that afternoon. <laughs> I love it. Wow. That's fantastic. So, uh, um, Tell me a little bit about the your five friends who um, joined so uh, that was a, that was a wonderful group um, so my good friends JT and Marissa mm -hmm. um, they are also here in San Francisco um, they are also small boat sailors um, they have a boat up in the Delta and one on Tomales Bay uh, my friend Oliver Hickman um, who uh, um, is he's, he's a master mariner by trade or uh -huh. at least he was um, but also spent an awful lot of time over at the National Park like the Maritime Museum small uh -huh. boat shop. Oh, so that's he's good. a very good, um, very capable boatman. And then our friends, uh, Chris and Megan as well, um, who are also members of the Dolphin Club. Okay. So we had a, we had a good crowd. That's um, great. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and of course, we were all white from uh, <laughs> middle of winter San Francisco. We come out to the tropics <laughs> on, the, on, on that day with the, the crossing where we were all you know, where it almost broke in half on the, in the middle of the ocean. We didn't quite notice the sun that was in the sky oh. beating down on us. And by that evening, we started to notice that Oof. everything started to hurt. And, uh, and this would be the, the big tip for anybody thinking of following in my footsteps is um, apply sunscreen <laughs> before your first day out in the water in the tropics. I think none of us have been as sunburnt as we were that day. Wow. It was, it was incredible. That that is no fun. That is definitely no fun. But that that um, the boat uh, breaking in that way did not dissuade you guys, or didn't didn't you didn't lose confidence in it? Well, you know, I think we a, a lot of sailing is learning the limits of your boat and yeah. learning how it works. And um, we did not lose confidence. We took a day off and recovered from our sunburn, or mm -hmm. and then we set sail again into another strong wind and almost sank again. We were we had to run. 30 miles downwind to the next headland where we knew it would be well protected and so we left at 7 a.m. hoping to get out get most of this done before the wind really picked up and how what was your normal speed well you know we're flying along this thing okay and it's probably we were probably doing eight nine ten knots you know probably picking wow. up more you know if definitely in calmer water and mm -hmm. faster I think I've got those boats up to like 14 or so um, but yeah this 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 was another sleigh ride downwind but we we discovered obviously another thing when you buy a boat from some folks who use it for protected sailing on an island with tourists it's kind of designed for that and yeah. now all of a sudden here we are pushing um, it. pushing it in a 20 25 knot breeze uh, um, and so we were going downwind the swells are going good we had our first man overboard mm. and uh, that was that was kind of exciting because this boat didn't have much upwind capability Okay. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, we did have the common the wherewithal before setting off to have clipped in, and so we were all harnessed in, and our man overboard was a non-event because he went off the back of the boat, and the three of us went ah, <laughs> we pulled him right back on the boat while you were still sailing, <laughs> pretty much. 
And then we carried on downwind, but with every wave, the, uh, the cockpit of the boat is an open hull. Mm. And the uh, waves would break over the boat and then drain into the hull. And the boat would start going lower oh. and lower and lower. And as it gets lower, of course, the waves break over easier and easier. And then you've got this bucket that you're trying to bail out of. But there comes a point where you're really bailing as much as you're, as you're getting in. And we were, we were pretty much at that point and going down as we rounded the headlands. Wow. At, the, uh, at the south tip of this main island and uh, that was maybe another another moment where we all kind of looked at each other <laughs> you learn as you go yeah. huh? but there the water really was warm it was probably 85 so uh, yeah yeah uh, wow fortunately well you could have probably headed into another point of sale and, and bailed for a bit if you had to uh, no i think we were really committed at that point to uh getting around that headland <laughs> well yes <laughs> Went to back to safety. <laughs> wow, that's you, great. You, you grow with the boat, and so you know that boat. Uh, um, we sa- we sailed it on for the next two weeks to uh, Palawan, and at the end of Palawan, we had to well, let's go back to work. So we just li- we literally left the boat anchored out in this little area with uh, a local hotel owner. He kept an eye on it for us, and I was like, I'll be back for this boat, and I did come back. You know, I came back six months later, and the boat was still there. Still tied to the same anchor, looking a little bit sun sunburned. Um, but yeah. then I really got to know the boat well, and I spent uh, four or five months with her. Oh, and wonderful. we uh, um, we fixed the cross beam that had broken, uh-huh. fixed it real good, um, fixed a number of things that I could see could be improved. We made it way more sea- seaworthy, so now it couldn't be sunk sunk. Um, and then I took that on a number of really really fun adventures um, around Palawan and just you know. <laughs> picked up crew was from backpackers you know some people had sailed people came out and visited along the way and it was really one of the most most phenomenal um, adventures you could possibly have you know because it was you didn't have a huge amount invested in it you know at any given point in time i could have lost the boat and walked away it was two thousand five hundred dollars that had already been paid yeah um and being local it was you know it was never like there was systems breaking on it that i had to order parts and wait for or anything like that there was always just some guy who could like hack something together out out of a tree and um, instantly you've got a new uh, a, you know a new tiller or and did you single-handed at all? I never ever single-handed that boat because it was such a powerful boat. Yeah, um, I was yeah. I was actually gearing it up for single-handing when I was out there last um, before COVID, um, and I think uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's still floating at this point. Ah, I was going <laughs> to ask if she's still waiting for you. What you taught you mentioned systems. Obviously, it's simple, and that is one of the beauties of it. Did you have a GPS? Did you? How did you do navigation between the islands? Well, so here's yeah, here's the next thing is. Um, Google Maps, satellite view. For navigating in the tropics, I mean, I think if I had a a proper sailboat, I would take things a little bit more seriously. But quite frankly, charts out there are somewhat hit or miss. Uh, Navionics out there is definitely hit or miss and Uh doesn't have the the resolution to be of use. Uh, But Google Maps really is. And, uh, um, you know, with, if if you pair, fortunately for us, you know, when you when you only draw a foot of water, right? Um, the consequences for getting it wrong are less, um, and so Google Maps basically showed us how to approach islands. It was more of a, a tool for getting within to in, inside of reefs and so on. Um, but yeah, we'd sp- I'd spend some time. I'd just make sure I downloaded all the 
the, the, the photos before I left and then you could kind of check things along the way and see where you were and how to get how to get past this reef or how to get past that reef um, um, and a lot of for, for us because every night we had to pull up on a beach um, you know like if you were if you were in a modern cruiser you would have to anchor off the reef um, we had to pass over the reef mm-hmm. which meant we also had to time things and know when the tide was mm-hmm. because you know at lower tides you couldn't pass over the reef um, so uh, it always became a game of how to get through the reef how to get over the reef to land on the beach at some point for nightfall um, the big advantage of this of course is every night we spent for the most part with local villagers uh-huh. and so uh, um, again on s- small boats uh, um, you know there's you don't have the seaworthiness you have to deal with crashing into reefs in the middle of the night but you also spend the night you know with local people singing and kids laughing around you and making fires you know literally we'd, we'd come ashore and everybody would come out from little thatched huts and they'd be looking at us in amazement and confusion and then after a while you know you smile and crack a few jokes and act a little bit silly and people warm up to you and they may come down they make a fire for you they bring some food um, and then after a while, you know, if you've got a musician aboard, the, the, you know, pull out the ukulele or the guitar and, you know, or, and all of a sudden it's just you've got a party happening there on the beach and people want to show you things. You can't go sailing the next day because they want to show you around their island. <laughs> Kids want to take you for walks. And, and that's really what it's all about. And it really is. Um, you know, the it's, uh, you know, that was the that's what I loved about cycling was um yeah, you have to bicycle, you have to do all this exercise, but what really was wonderful for it was you're, you're just with people. Yeah. You're reliant on local people. And because you're so exposed, they're much more open to being hospitable. Um, you know, when you're in a car, you just pass through and you see things outside the window. But when you're on a bicycle, you know, people run out of their houses with little shots of uh, rice liquor and say, yeah, stop, get off your bicycle. Have a drink. Um, <laughs> and it's the same thing with a, a small sailboat. At two in the afternoon and then you have yeah, to keep riding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, that's wonderful. We had, we've had numerous experiences like that in the Philippines. Where, have you uh, taken the boat back to places where you sailed originally and then had a, a, a welcome back? Oh, yeah. There, was, there were certainly some places where, I, you know, after a while, I knew places that were good to go back to. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, I, I've kind of crossed my path many times now over there. Mm. And so there's, um, uh, there's definitely friendly faces that along the way that have become, uh, um, you know, ev- even to this day, you know, there's, um, I, did a, I did a bunch of work with a, um, on the boat when I first went back to it. And the, the carpenter who helped me there, um, we stay in touch. He's on Facebook now. He's got 12 kids. <laughs> He's my age with 12 kids. Yeah, and Facebook and the internet and Instagram, really, you can stay in touch with yeah, all these yeah, folks you've right. met. And, you know, I can't say we have uh, very deep uh, conversations on Facebook, but yeah. you know, enough to say hello and you know, check in on yeah, each other. Great. And Well, another adventure that I want to hit on before we finish this up is Closer to Home. But you are on a Discovery television show. Tell us about that again. A multi-hall. Oh, that's right. Well, this this is a few years ago now. This is this is probably ten. Oh gosh, late t- mid two thousands. Um, this was at the end of my boat building streak. And so okay. I, so I had a few friends who so were, we're also going back in time a little bit. Definitely going back in time. My girlfriend at the time convinced me to. She showed me this uh, audition thing was for a show called No Opportunity Wasted. Okay. If you have three days and $3,000 to live your dream, 
what will you do? And the smart person would have gone to Hawaii for a three-day vacation, but little old me was like, wouldn't it be amazing to build a boat and sail it to the Farallon Islands? Build a boat in three days. It, yeah. well, well, you had to build the boat in less than three days because you, you have, have to, to sail, sail it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to so, hear Phil Kogan was the producer of this show. He's the guy who does The Amazing Race. Huh. And uh, I put the audition tape in. I'd probably forgot about it. And then six months later, my, my colleagues at work were acting a little bit funny and saying, we have to go for this meeting in San Francisco. And they put me on a cable car because for some reason the meeting location changed. And then in the middle of the co cable car, they stopped the cable car and the film cameras came running out of the side. And then this guy put the microphone in front of my mouth and said, James Dilworth, are you ready to live your dream? You have $3,000 and three days to build a boat. <laughs> Sail to the Farallon Islands, which is ridiculous. I mean, I, th I think most people here, if you gave them $3,000 and the boat, they wouldn't get to the Farallon. So what was going through your head at that moment? Oh, shit, um, I have to do this now? Yeah, that's definitely what was going through my head. Um, but uh, fortunately, my girlfriend had been tipped off beforehand. So okay. She'd clued in a few other people. Mm. And so it wasn't a complete surprise when I called them in panic at 5 p.m. on a Friday evening and saying, um, you have to build this boat and over the weekend and try and get it out to the Farallons. And, you know, within, within, by 7 p.m., there was like 20 people around my house going, all right, what are we going to build? And... Um, my friend Christian looked around the corner and I had a model of one of these Filipino style sailboats, these Parals, you know, that I picked up in the Philippines, you know, on my bicycle trip. And he's like, we should build one of those. And I was like, I know how to do that. Ah. And so we did, we built a, um, a, a trimaran, slightly different than the Philippines. I mean, I didn't know exactly how to do it, but we, uh -huh. we you know, <laughs> muddled through. We had, a, we had some boat building talent on board and we built a 24 foot trimaran. In how long? In two days. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's on YouTube. Um, it is? It is. What I'm do we search for? Blaze of Glory. Blaze of Glory. Blaze of Glory was the name of the boat. Was, okay. Um, that was the... When you were trying to build a boat on a weekend with 20 people, a lot of it comes down to delegation. The, the folks come to you and say, how should we attach the cross beam to the hull? I was like, I don't know. Talk to the guys who are building the hull. <laughs> and we fumbled it through it. And so when Marissa came to me and said, what color are we going to paint the boat? I said... I don't know. <laughs> Go to the store and get some, some paint. paint. <laughs> so she did. She came back with this bright pink paint. She said, if you capsize, this will be good for fighting you. <laughs> I love it. And the paint was called Blaze of Glory. <gasps> oh, uh, so, perfect. And it was very, very apropos for the boat. And we launched it on the Monday morning at 7 a.m. We worked through two nights. It was an absolutely incredible project. So many good people came and lent their time. And you... It, even to this day, it, it bemuses me that we actually accomplished this because yeah. it was actually kind of a nice boat. It was, it floated, it was seaworthy. We raised the sail and she sailed. She sailed upwind, sailed out the gate, wow. um, out the gate into um, uh, gale for gale warning. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this point, you know, is where we're blasting, blasting seaward on this thing. And the producers, it's not any three days. It's three consecutive days. Three consecutive so days. Like, they, had, they, had, they had the next shoot to film. They, they had to be on a plane on Monday evening. And so um, here they are. They chartered a 55-foot sport fishing boat that they were following us on. And there was three of us on our trimaran. <laughs> and we were actually doing okay with that. 
wow. know, tacking maybe at you know fifty degrees perhaps. You know, it yeah. wasn't yeah. wasn't great, but we're we're working up working our way up winds, and uh, it was obviously going to take an awfully long time to get to the Farallons. Yeah, <laughs> but we got out of we got out to, out to Point Bonita, and then you know out, out to the you know you could see the the waves breaking out in the potato patch. Our little trimaran was doing better than the sport fishing boat. The film crew had all given up. They were all sitting there seasick inside. And they were like, how far are you going to go? <laughs> Please turn around. We can't handle it anymore. So we, we got a couple big waves. So in. what story did they tell on the show, though? That I'm sure they didn't say, oh, we got seasick and decided to call it off. I, th I think we compromised. I think we... We we just we all agreed that we had to pick a better day to do it. I see. <laughs> and I got to I got to raise the flag that I lived my dream. <laughs> that is awesome, James. Oh, I love it. I sailed around the Farallons on another day <laughs> with a different boat. <laughs> on your Santana 22, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And uh, so I I asked you this before we started, but how many boats do you currently have? I have if we count the one in the Philippines. I have a little fleet. I have a Santana 22. I still have my Warham catamaran that I, I sailed to Mexico. I have the one in the Philippines. Um, I have a, a little motorboat that I do. I take people swimming. Uh -huh. um, so if you want to swim from Alcatraz, you, you pilot. want to swim across the Golden Gate Bridge, yeah. I will pilot you. That's wonderful. Um, so, uh, um, so I have that one there. And those, those are my sailboats. That's then you've got great. the kayaks and the rowboats. And I love it. So with all these boats and these adventures and these dreams, what's mulling around in the back of your head? That's a good question. What to do um, next? Well, the funny thing is, you know, I keep mulling around whether or not to buy a bigger boat. And I keep coming back to the answer of no. Yeah. And I keep realizing just how much fun you can have when you keep it small. I think that's a very um, smart so, decision. Uh, um, <laughs> Says yeah. the owner of a bigger boat. Yeah, yeah. Last summer, I, I took the Santana up into the Delta and I got it to... Mm got way up these tiny narrow sloughs that you would never bring anything bigger than a 22-foot boat. Oh. Um, and, and I got stuck multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, you, there, you have these little adventures available to you that um, are just not available easily. So I'm really a fan of the small boats. Um, so I think I'm, I'm tempted, actually, to go back to my homeland and discover it. Uh, so uh, um, the UK, apparently, is a, a wonderful place to sail. I've heard. I have a friend who's just bought a 20-foot boat there. Um, that sounds like a perfect size boat to go sail around. Whereabouts? In the um, Solent or he's, somewhere else? Uh, he's in the Thames. We okay. went out and uh, um, she's more than 20 foot. It's 25 foot. Yeah. Um, it's, getting, it's getting to the point where it's getting a little bit bigger. <laughs> but it's still small. It doesn't have a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. That still qualifies as small then. Bucket means small boat. It has bucket and basic electrics. Um, but yeah, you know, it's pretty easy to borrow a friend's boat when it's small. And yeah, um, take and it there's off less to adventure. break, and when it does uh, break, it's easier to fix and right. cheaper to yeah. fix. So that might be on the that might be on the cards uh, um, this summer, and if not, we were thinking maybe the Inside Passage, um, mm -hmm. another one which would be kind of fun. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. who knows? Ever thought about the race to Alaska? Yeah, but why race? Yeah. Why why not? I, I would like to do the the unrace. You know, mm -hmm. the I would like to be the I would like to get the loser, the slowpoke prize on the on the yeah. race to Alaska. The guy who comes in last six months late. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm with you. I you know one of the reasons I love sailing is poking into places and exploring and discovering along the way. And if you like it, you stay a while. That's so. right. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. 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 Well, James, this has been fabulous yeah and, likewise um i hope we can do this again after you 
racked up more miles, <laughs> be it on a bike, a boat, <laughs> or whatever. Bit of pleasure talking yeah. to you, Ben. Thanks. That wraps up this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with James half as much as I did. You can read more about James on his website, jamesdillworth.com, J-A-M-E-S-D-I-L-W-O-R-T-H is how he spells his name, jamesdillworth.com. And if you want to watch the TV show James describes in our conversation, you can simply Google James Dilworth no opportunity wasted and the video will pop up i think it's in three parts i'm ben shaw host and producer of the show you can always reach me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com until next time smooth sailing <laughs>